thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. So, uh, are anyone here fans of the quiz show? Is it only Connect or Simply Connect? Any hands up? Hilly? Hilly's a fan. Hillary? Oh, it must be Hilly, Hillary, Barbara. Okay. If you've not seen it, they have different rounds where you get, if you can get the connection early, you get more points. That's right, isn't it? Yeah? I've, I've, I don't watch it that often, but I've seen it. Um, I thought we'd play a little game of it first this morning to see if you can make the connection. So I'm going to give you, I've got five things. If we get to number five before you've made the connection, then we're not very good. Okay? So if you get it first thing, well done. If you get it second, that's pretty good. Third, that's pretty good. Fourth, it should be becoming clear. Fifth, I think then, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. So the first thing that connects is Abba. Okay, no, no, no. You've all gone too holy straight away. Okay, I'm thinking more Dancing Queen and Chicken Tikka. Chicken Tikka, that one. Um, so Abba, anyone? Eurovision's been shouted a few times. No, that's not the connection. Okay, so Abba, second one. Liza Minnelli. Ooh. Well, yeah, is, is it going to be that obvious? Do you think it's going to be that obvious? Okay, so Abba, Liza Minnelli, any takers? Any confident takers? Competition winner? Was she a competition winner? Or were you just guessing? She might have done, actually. Yeah, very good. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, Simply Red. Mick Hucknell, yeah, but he's not in Abbey, and he didn't dress up as Liza Minnelli. So there's a link. So, anyone? Right, so far they're all musicians. So, so far you're thinking it's, sorry? Oh, Steve Pryor, everyone give Steve Pryor a round of applause, okay? Because the next one was going to be Jeremy Hunt, who is the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And the final one was the Bank of England. I was going to say, if you didn't get it by that point, then you're having problems. Abba sang, money, 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 must be funny in a rich man's world. Liza Minnelli sang, money makes the world go round in the film Cabaret. Simply read, and I want to draw attention to this one. Is it better to use the handheld if that's ringing around? Or it's just, if it's annoying me, it might annoy other people. Um, Simply read, I just want to draw your attention to something. Can I play a, a snip of a track without YouTube or Facebook shutting us down or not? Ten seconds. Okay, I want to draw attention to this song, okay? It's called Money's Too Tight to Mention. Money's Too Tight to Mention, okay? Can you hear it? Make your mind up, Mick Hucknall. 
if money's too tight to mention, then he can't keep going, I'm talking about money, money. I'm talking about money, money. I'm talking about money, money, money. Anyway, even whether you are Abbott or Liza Minnelli or Jeremy Hunt or the Bank of England and simply read a talking from a position where he hasn't got much, but he keeps talking about it, money is one of the values that the world holds dear, would we agree? Yeah, so we're going to read. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes. We're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 to begin with, verse 10. And we're going to read to 17 in the message version. And uh, if you haven't got a Bible, if you haven't got the message version, it should come up on the screen behind me, so don't panic. It's always good to have your own. You can write some little notes and jot things down. But um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 to 17 says this. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, nor the one who loves wealth with big profits, more smoke. The more loot you get, the more looters show up. And what fun is that to be robbed in broad daylight? Hard and honest work earns a good night's sleep, whether supper is beans or steak. But a rich man's belly gives insomnia. Here's a piece of bad luck I've seen happen. A man hoards far more wealth than is good for him and then loses it all in a bad business deal. He fathered a child, but hasn't a cent left to give him. He arrived naked from the womb of his mother. He'll leave in the same condition, with nothing. This is bad luck for sure. Naked he came, naked he went. So what was the point of working for a salary of smoke? All for a miserable life spent in the dark. So, stop there a minute. As we've been coming over the summer, you recognise Ecclesiastes, not always the jolliest of books, but at the same time, there's important lessons to learn. The teacher turns from looking at activities that the world follows, of pleasure, of power, and getting into those places, to looking at what does the world value. And he asks two questions, or the world asks two questions. Who is better off? That's a question the world asks. Who is better off? The answer is... The person with more money, usually, yeah? Who is better off? The wealthy, that's what they would say. The person with the bigger wage, the person who retires earlier. So there's five little things in this passage that we're going to look at today that talk about wealth. The first one is the disadvantage of collecting it. Now you think, surely that's not a disadvantage. All of us, put your hand up if you'd like to have a little bit more in your bank account. Okay, again, the world says that's what you need. And Ecclesiastes said there's a disadvantage to collecting it. He talks about the fact that food can satisfy. You know, I've had some good meals this week. You can tell, okay. I've had some good meals in my lifetime, you can tell. I've had some good meals. And actually, sometimes there's, there's two situations you can be in. You can come out from a meal and go, do you know what? I've had just enough and that's great. Or you could come out thinking, I'll never eat again. And you can hardly walk. And actually, that's not good. And then you've got the opposite, where actually you think, actually, I've not had anything. And uh, we have, uh, we've had children through our house. We've had foster children. We've had our own children. And often they'll use the word, I'm starving. Yeah? Yet they'd eaten two hours before. Don't think really they understand the meaning of the world starving, do they? You know, there are people, I think it's three days you can go without uh, food for with before it becomes a really serious issue. So next time you say, I'm starving, think, have I eaten already today or in the last 24 hours? Chloe, you know, maybe. No, no, she doesn't agree. But 
It says that food can satisfy. It says water can quench your thirst. After you've eaten, you don't need another meal for ages. You feel satisfied. You feel contented. After your thirst has been quenched, you don't need to desperately drink more water. But money works more like a drug. The more you have, the more you need. Would you agree? The more you have, the more you need. Money begins to swallow up your affection. It gets your attention. It takes your ambition until eventually you become possessed by your possessions. That's what money does. You know, the Bible verse is often misquoted. the, the, The Bible verse says the love of money is the root of all evil. But people often say, oh, money's the root of all evil. No, it isn't. People do amazing things with money. Yeah. Look at the garden party for, for Blessed Hill. Look at, as, as a church, as we've journeyed with Blessed Hill, the difference that place has had because of people's generosity. So it can't be that money's the root of all evil, but if actually we love it and love it and chase it and chase it, then actually there's a problem. The poor man, says Ecclesiastes, gets a better sleep. I don't know if that's always the case sometimes. The Greek in this case literally says that the rich man stays awake with indigestion. You know, we hear of people who are wealthy, who've got good jobs, who've been in positions of power, developing stomach ulcers because of the, the concern for more, the desire for more. The more money you have, the more mouths you tend to provide for. The more bills you pay, the more insurance you have to take out, the more doubts about your friends and acquaintances, and the more responsibility. You know, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. When he had money, he was surrounded by friends. Yeah, why? Because he was splashing the cash. As soon as he ran out... They deserted him. They weren't real friends. It was only about the money. Only about the money. The prodigal son realised that he was better off in his father's house. He was better off with people that cared. With affluence comes indulgence, and that doesn't make us healthier, does it? How many health clubs are accessible to those on the lowest income? Not many. And you'll see people going to these health clubs who've indulged, overindulged, who actually probably need the health club more than they needed the food they've eaten. (laughs) We could all be that way. So firstly, there's a disadvantage in collecting it. It causes you to lose sleep. It can cause you to doubt your friendships. Secondly, the writer talks of the dangers of acquiring it. He talks about You lose it before you die, and you ultimately lose it when you die. There's a couple of famous sayings. One of them is, a shroud has no pockets. You know, a funeral outfit, what what use is it then? There was another famous saying where somebody at a funeral turned and said, well, how much did he leave then? And the reply was, everything. Can't take it with you. Can't take it with you. Are we willing to give ourselves to something that ultimately we will lose? When I was a very, very little child, I can't remember it. I do remember it happening and being aware of it. 
But my dad had built a business up. He'd started his business from his, his mother-in-law's front room, keeping the invoices and receipts under the settee. Sounds really legit, a bit like a Dell boy. And he built a business up. He sold kitchens, bathrooms, central heating, and uh, he was a whiz at making deals. And he built a business up. He had a warehouse and a showroom. And one night he got a phone call and uh, it was on fire. And actually his heart sank because I think the insurances had run out and everything he'd built up was gone in smoke. And uh, he tells the story himself. If you ever want to know the actual details, speak to him. But he, what did he do? Did he go into an absolute despair? Or did he go, yeah, it's awful. Yes, it's worrying. But I believe my dad's faith wasn't in his business or his money. My dad's faith was in his father. And so he knew that although he'd lost his stuff, he'd never lose his saviour. Although he'd lost everything he'd worked so hard for, he was able to start again. And so he did. And actually, what is the biggest thing we're pursuing? If someone asks you that question, what's the biggest thing you're chasing after? For some of us, it might be just the next meal. For some of us, it might be a long life and happiness. I heard a fact this morning that there are about 150 people in the US. Sorry, Americans, I do apologize. There are about 150 Americans at the moment who are in cryogenic frozen sleep in the hope that one day someone will work out how to keep them alive for longer. Why? <laughs> but how much money must that cost? How much money must that cost? They're pursuing a long life, but by pursuing it, they're losing some of their days. What are we pursuing? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's the next promotion. Maybe it's the next job. Maybe it's to have that bigger pay packet so you can afford more. Maybe it's financial security. But let me ask you this morning, are we pursuing the God who gives and takes away and still we sing, Lord, blessed be your name? We've sung this. Last week, we talked about the temple being empty promises. This morning, you've already sung a shed load of them. I'm sorry. But you've said, the Lord, you know, you give and take away, but my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You've sung it. You've promised it. Sorry, guys. You've got to look at the conditions before you sing these songs. Thirdly, as long as we see money and possessions as God's gifts to us, we will be able to live with it and we'll be able to live without it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 goes on to say this, verses 18 to 20. After looking at the way things are on this earth, here's what I've decided is the best way to live. Take care of yourself and have a good time and make the most of whatever job you have for as long as God gives you life. And that's about it. That's the human lot. Notice that, that's the human lot. Yes, we should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it. That's interesting, isn't it? Be thankful for the bounty and the capacity to enjoy what we have. Accepting what's given and delighting in the work, it's God's gift. God deals out joy in the present than now. It is useful, it is useless to brood over how long we might live. What's the writer of Ecclesiastes saying about wealth, about money? He's saying, hold it lightly. 
because it's not yours. It's just on loan from your dad. It's not ours. Hold it lightly. Don't become the servant of wealth. Always be the master of it. If we look at it as our ability that's God has it, in other words, I've worked hard, aren't I good? I'm going to sit back and enjoy. Then actually, what happens when we lose it all? But if we look at it as God's provision, then there's a big difference. As soon as we see our wealth or our possessions or our family and our relationships as something that God has given us to be enjoyed and employed in some way, then the next thing we can have is daily gratitude in our hearts that doesn't rely on the gift staying with us forever. Yeah? We can have gratitude. Enjoy it today without the worrying of losing it tomorrow. Enjoy to the full what God has given you now. Why can I say this? Well, let's look at Job, the character of Job. I'm not going to read it all. It's long. It's also even more <laughs> struggle, struggle and, and jo- less jolly than Ecclesiastes. But Job was the one who said, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be your name. If you don't remember anything else today, remember this. You cannot praise God for the second part unless you praise him for the first. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be your name. You can't say blessed be your name in the second part unless you're praising him when you've got How can I say that? Well, Job's wife had a very different attitude. Job's wife didn't say that. She said, curse God and die. Look what he's done to you. Why did she say that? Because they'd lost everything. She'd lost her family. She'd lost her possessions. She'd lost her servants. She'd lost everything. And her focus was on the loss, not on the fact that it was only on loan. Her focus needed to be on the giver. She was really annoyed. Curse God and die. The difference in attitude was that Job was giving thanks for everything while he had it to enjoy. So that he could still give thanks to God, even though he was hurting, and even though he was struggling, and even though he had nothing. His wife saw it as what they'd earned, what was theirs, what they'd worked for, whereas Job saw that all he had was a gift from God. Even the air we breathe today is a gift from God. It's given by God and taken away. Job saw everything as a gift. He was regularly up each morning. It tells us before anything happens that he was giving sacrifice for his family, praying. It doesn't say they were there as a couple. It says they were there, him on his own, making sure that he was giving thanks for his children, giving thanks for all he'd done, but also confessing on their behalf. Job was giving thanks in the good and he was able to give thanks in the bad. Why? Because God keeps us occupied with gladness of heart. We've said before, anyone in the AA or NA or DA or CA or GA communities, <laughs> there's that many now, one of the things that they're encouraged to do is a gratitude list every day to give thanks, even when maybe they're at their lowest, lowest ebb. Because as we turn our thoughts to praise, as we turn our thoughts to gratitude, we can give thanks even in the brokenness. We can give thanks even in the difficulty. This can apply to everything, not just money, relationships, career, family, everything. Are we giving thanks for the gifts that God has given us? Who gives thanks before a meal? This isn't a, this isn't a legalistic thing, 
for what we are about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Amen. Or as someone once said at my school, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. <laughs> Ali, they got detention. But anyway, that's by the by. Give thanks before a meal. Maybe we need to give thanks when it's gone too. Maybe that's something we need to start practising, to give thanks before we receive it, but after it's gone to say thank you for what we've had. Maybe that's an attitude we need to cultivate in our lives, to give thanks while it's there and to give thanks when it's not. Because God is good. Fourth thing, there's a difficulty to appreciate wealth. Some people have everything that money can buy and nothing that money can't buy. Wes talked the other week about Ebenezer Scrooge, similar, similar situation. Rockefeller said this, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. The poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. The teacher in Ecclesiastes said, it's better not to have been born than to have wealth and not be able to enjoy it. Let's read those passages from chapter 6 in Ecclesiastes. It says this, I looked long and hard at what goes on around here and let me tell you, things are bad and people feel it. There are people, for instance, on whom God showers everything, money, property, reputation, all they ever wanted or dreamed of and then God doesn't let them enjoy it. Some stranger comes along and has all the fun. It's more of what I'm calling smoke, a bad business. Say a couple have scores of children and live a long life but never enjoy themselves. Even though they end up with a big funeral, I'd say that a stillborn gets the better deal. It gets its start in a mist and ends up in the dark, unnamed. It sees nothing and knows nothing, but is better off by far than anyone living. Even if someone lived a thousand years, make it two thousand, but didn't enjoy anything, what is the point? Doesn't everyone end up in the same place? We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. So what advantage has a sage over a fool or over some poor wretch who barely gets by? Just grab whatever you can while you can. Don't assume something better might turn up by and by. All it amounts to anyway is smoke and spitting in the wind. Whatever happens, happens. Its destiny is fixed. You can't argue with fate. The more words that are spoken, the more smoke there is in the air. And who is any better off? And who knows what's best for us as we live out our meagre smoke and shadow lives? And who can tell any of us the next chapter? The teacher says it's better to have been, not been born than to have wealth and not be able to enjoy it. Job says the same thing. Jeremiah says the same thing. Had moments of wishing they hadn't been born. That's sometimes the world we're in. But Jesus says, I've come to give life to the full. I've come to give life to the full. What is the conclusion to this passage? Who is better off in life and what is best for us? I don't know if rich is better than poor or wise better than foolish, but the writer of Ecclesiastes says, being contented is better than being covetous. Being contented is better than being jealous. Being contented is better than wanting after what somebody else has. Any Hobbit fans in today? Okay, a few. A couple of quotes from The Hobbit, an adventure which goes through ups and downs, trials and tribulations, danger, death, love, loss, all those things. Thorin Oakenshield says this, 
If more of us valued food and cheer above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. If more of us valued company, fellowship, friendship, and joy, rather than wealth. Dwell in the dwarf, I think he is, says, you will have to manage without pocket handkerchiefs and a good many other things before you get to the journey's end. I think I'd be less worried about managing without a pocket handkerchief, personally. But actually, you're going to have to manage without sometimes before we reach the end of the journey. That's what Ecclesiastes says. There's times where we're going to have to manage without. And then you have Gollum, who is consumed with that precious. Now, if Joel was here, I'd get him to do the impression. I can't do it. Oh, anyway. Sorry, Joel. But he's brilliant at it. But Gollum becomes this white, hairless, shriveled, my precious. Okay. (laughs) That's close as I get. Why is he about that? Because he's a desire for that golden ring. And he ends up hiding in a cave, not enjoying life, but worried and worried and worried about losing what he's got. Do you know, happiness bears no relationship to wealth. You can see it through society, yet it's what society is chasing. The richest man in the world is not the man who possesses much, but the man who desires little. Be content. Only God knows who is best off. And the teacher says he isn't telling. That's what this passage of Ecclesiastes is saying. God knows and he doesn't appear to be telling us. But turn to the New Testament and Jesus starts. Jesus says more about money than he does about any other subject, surprisingly. He said it's hard to be rich. He said he has no home. He said he even borrowed a donkey. He even borrowed a tomb. A rich young man came to Jesus and still went away sad. Why? Because he devoted everything to making the money that Jesus said you need to get rid of it because you love that too much. Luke chapter 16, as we finish, tells two stories. The first is a story of a man. It's a strange story. We're not going to read that one today, but if you read it, it's about a crooked man who gets commended by his boss for being even more crooked in the end. And you look at that and you go, what? But actually, it tells the man who's been cooking the books and he's going to be fired. So what he does is he contacts all the clients of his boss and told them to pay less. And his boss praises him. Why? Because even though he's been crooked, that man realises that relationships are going to be far more important than wealth. Because he goes and makes friends with those people so that they will thank him, so that they will be part of his life when he's got nothing he'll be able to go to them and say, help me. That's why he's praised. The boss sees in him something that's a bit clever, even though it's not wise, but it's that recognition that relationship is more important than stuff. It finishes with this story in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. It says this, There once was a rich man expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. What a contrast. If I said to you today, which one would you rather be? I don't think we'd be wanting our best friends to be dogs that lick our sores. Maybe best friends that are dogs, maybe, but not best friends that lick our sores, okay? 
Interestingly enough, bread was used as a napkin in those days. So when it talks about the bread that falls off the man's table, they used the bread to clean their hands up and then threw it on the floor. So actually, it wasn't even just bread. It was dirty bread. That's all the rich man was giving. What a contrast. Verses 22 goes, Then he died, this poor man, and was taken up to the angels, to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in hell and in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. He called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. So he's been throwing dirty bread. And he ends up, even though he's rich beyond his wildest dreams, he ends up being willing to lick the water off a, a, a sore-ridden man who he's neglected. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you got the good things and Lazarus the bad. It's not like that here. He's consoled and you're tormented. In all these matters, there's a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you even if he wanted to. The rich man said, Then let me ask you, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so he can tell them the score and warn them so they won't end up here in this place of torment. Abraham answered, they've got Moses, they've got the prophets to tell them the score, let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back to them from the dead, they would change their ways. Abraham replied, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. The Bible from beginning to end has already told us what we need. The information is there. If we won't listen to what's already been said, then maybe we're not going to be convinced even by somebody that's resurrected. Jesus says a man can't serve both God and money. Use what God has given us so that others will be blessed and we will be content. He said, don't lay up treasures on earth where it can rot or be stolen. Where, where your money is, there your heart will be. As I finish, let's remember this. Jesus was rich. He had the glory of heaven. And he left it. He became poor so that through his poverty, we could become rich. Not rich with money, not rich with wealth, but rich in eternal things. Rich because he gave us all he had. He chose to turn his back on his riches. Why? For you and for me. Jesus had to get a fish with a coin in its mouth to pay his tax. He knows what it is to be struggling. Jesus said, sorry, Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give you, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The teacher questions the values of life. He says, who is better off and who is best off? And the conclusion is this, those that hold on to things lightly and don't keep grasping. Those who say, blessed be your name in each and every situation, to give thanks for what they have while they have it, and those who give thanks for what they have, sorry, when they haven't got and look to God to provide. This morning, he's already provided what we need. He's already given what we need. Jesus came so we might have life, that we might be rich in him. Let's pray. I've got to invite the band up and we're going to finish our service shortly with some worship. The prayer team will be at the back. This morning, maybe you've never thought about what you're chasing after. Maybe you've never thought about what will bring contentment to life. 
can I encourage you to, to look to Jesus? He left his riches so that you could get out of that poverty that is brought by sin, the poverty of life. So Father God, I pray over this place today. I pray, Lord, that you will speak your words. I pray, Lord, that you will move our hearts. Father, help us to not be chasing the next pound, but help us to be chasing after you. Your goodness is running after me. Father, help me to stand still long enough to receive it. Help me to run towards you to receive it. Father God, in this place this morning, we just ask your Holy Spirit to just challenge our attitudes towards our stuff and help us to know that there is far more to be gained from chasing after a relationship with the Saviour of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.